0: shows are individually owned and opinions expressed may not reflect others welcome to the adventures in tech podcast Talking the latest tips and trends in educational technology to innovate and engage your students. Here are your hosts, Andrew and Dan. Hello, everybody! Once again, welcome to the Adventures in Tech podcast. This is episode number nine. I am Andrew, and I am Dan, and we are excited to be uh, back on the air. It's we said it's been a couple crazy weeks, and we know the holiday season, the hustle and bustle has been fun. But Dan, what's been going on?
1: Um, just actually having a lot of fun right before the holidays uh as you should as i should exactly but uh working with actually one of our guests i think you were there as well doing some green screen work with the kindergartners that was great um and they were looking at weather and then i was doing the same thing with a fourth grade class today correct um, when they were looking at extreme weather so we were having uh some time in front of the green screen
0: Yeah, and the green screen is a great tool just to bring authenticity to the projects that the students get excited. It's great in in that regard. And yes, uh, our friend who we're bringing back for part two, we'll get to them, uh, that crew in a minute, Uh, next time she needs to wear a green leotard so she blends (laughs) right in with with the props, you know, but uh, before we get to them, uh, we do want to say if you like the content, please, as always, help us out, provide feedback and a rating on the platform you are using to get this podcast from, uh, whether it be Apple, Google, Spotify, we greatly appreciate your support. The other thing that's still ongoing, and we know that the winter recess uh, is fast approaching for educators, the Ditch Summit is still going on. Uh, you can access all of that material and all those presentations from now through January 7th, 2022. It is year number six for the Ditch that Textbook Digital Summit. It's a free online conference for educators. There's more than 75 video presentations on all kinds of topics. And we did have fun with uh, the John Stamos, which we mentioned last week. And if you haven't registered, you can still register and get all of the materials at DitchSummit.com.
1: And you should. it has such a wide variety of resources beyond just the videos. They have a, a Flipgrid platform where people can share ideas and leave responses and communicate with one another. You can download the PDF notes of the episode. So it's really friendly. For you to go in, learn from the videos, and then put it into practice yourself.
0: Yeah, it's just a great tool. Matt's great. We did talk to him recently as he was gearing up for his uh, digital summit, and he is going to be on the podcast as we get into 2022. He's all about joining us, so we will definitely get him on. Uh, We have the weekly windup. Not a ton of news going on, obviously, with things kind of winding down for 2021, which I think we're all excited to move forward into 2022. Uh, but what do you got, Dan? There's a couple updates specific with Google.
1: Right. There's one specific with Google Meet, and this came out uh, about a week ago, and it has to do with improving breakout rooms in Google Meet. So these improvements include the ability for meeting hosts and co-hosts to automatically move participants back to the main reading, meeting room once breakout rooms end, and also better visual indicators for breakout room participants, participants to indicate this movement. So this is, um, I think that's a great feature as we're, if, you know, I know some schools are going remote. Yes, they have. Google Meet is now coming back into teachers' lives. So in order to uh, help facilitate the instruction, I think this will be beneficial.
0: And it should be out now. Rapid and Schedule Release Domain started on December 14th. It is uh, available to Workspace Essentials. Uh, enterprise plus uh, g suite education plus all of them and it uh, also if you're the teaching and learning upgrade in google uh, april 2020 2022 uh, is when that feature will be available we know Cami just sent out some updates recently dan what do you ta- tell me about Cami?
1: um cammy does have some december updates they have feature control for sharing um, so now you can go to share documents from the menu bar and in sharing permission, choose anyone with the link and then create individual copies for each student. It's like make a copy. Great. Right. So if, I guess if you forget to do it in Google Classroom, you can go, always go update it in Cami. Yeah,
0: that's 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 great, especially depending upon the LMS integration that you're using. Uh, the control for sharing uh, in Kami is going to be great. One thing uh, we did want to mention, too, is you can, and we'll put it in the show notes, if you want to get uh, the first, the inside scoop on updates from Google for Education, you can sign up for their newsletter. Um, so we'll be sure to link that in the show notes so you'll get an email as these updates come out.
1: Also, sticking with Kami there has been a tool upgrade for split and merge and text recognition. Okay. So, you know... The days of being able to upload PDFs to split and merge are history. You can now upload more file types into this feature, plus run text recognition on more than just PDFs too. So expanding the file conversion support means you can upload images, Google Docs, and more. I like it. So I like it a lot. Cami has become a useful tool um, for us during the pandemic, post-pandemic, and then as we're moving into whatever comes forward. um, That annotation tool and... All the tools provided by Kami are definitely helpful. Yeah,
0: and Kami does have a free version. We want to mention that. There is a premium version as well. So depending upon your district's needs, if they decide to buy into the premium version... Uh, that's great. If not, there are a ton of features that are for free as well.
1: And for all you uh, Microsoft users, you can now add media from your OneDrive into Cami. There you go. So if you're a
0: Microsoft district, that's great news. So it makes things a lot more seamless for you. One thing that we always like to mention is a great tool. We want to talk about Flippity. Uh, if you've never checked out Flippity.net, it's going to make your life with a spreadsheet so much easier with board games, quiz shows, manipulatives, connect games, bingos, badge trackers, timelines. I could go on and on. Typing tests. There is so many tools with Flippity.net, and it's free 99. So
1: Exactly. And Flippity, um, just for the vocabulary and the flashcards, I know a lot of people like Quizlet. I like Quizlet. However, due to their terms and their policies, it, you can't really use it with students under 13 unless Correct. you go through the whole parent and sign. Whatever. It's a headache. It's a headache. But flippity.net, uh, no sign in required. And you can do those same vocabulary flashcards. You can create quizzes, activities, games to go along with it as well. So I do love Flippity. Flippity's great. And sticking with that same
0: theme with Flip, Flipgrid Fresh, there's been some updates for Flipgrid for the classroom uh, and beyond, which we needed because as you used to be able to share something in Flipgrid, you still had to sign in, whether it be a Google account or a Microsoft One account, so on and so forth. Now you don't need that.
2: It's now simplified.
0: It's a link. So we had those issues, I remember, a couple years ago, and, I, uh, you know, when we were talking about creating green screen videos, but how are they going to be viewed very simplified way in Flipgrid, and you always had to sign someone in to view it. Now you don't need that, so that's great. What else was uh, did Flipgrid announce, Dan?
1: Um, they did more mobile videos. So you asked, they listen. We they evolved the shorts feature, so you and your learners can create Flipgrid Flipgrid videos outside of a group on both the mobile and web app. You just record your video, then easily share it or embed it anywhere online. That's great. That's great.
0: And there's a lot of updates that Flipgrid uh, has pushed out. We could go on and on. There's probably about six or seven updates. Um, you know, we'll, we'll for lack, you know, for just for saving time, we'll just, uh, post the, the, the link to the show notes. And that way you can check out all of the, uh, upgrades that Flipgrid has pushed out. Uh, specifically as they look forward to 2022.
1: And I have one more, Tis the Season, for upgrades from Moat. So if you Uh, haven't received this, there are some upgrades to Moat. I know we talked about a little bit on the last episode, but you can level up your accessibility and engagement in your Google Forms with even more opportunities to use voice. Um, So some new features are you can put multiple-choice audio and voice-powered feedback in quiz mode on Forms. Yeah, we like
0: Moat. Moat's great with the the audio uh, aspect. And we do have an episode planned in the new year based on all kinds of audio tools. We know, uh, actually, the Ditch That Textbook Digital Summit was talking about Soundtrap today. So a lot of things that we can discuss uh, just on the power of audio more so uh, as we delve into 2022. So uh we wanted to talk we talked about pbl uh, a couple weeks ago about a month ago i
1: thought it was pb and j
0: it is pb and j not pbl right but we want to reintroduce uh, our good friends and colleagues john salmon and tara kohler back for more you agreed how are you guys doing we're good
2: happy to be back
0: thanks for having us (laughs) so they are steam professional development specialists uh in our district And they are big driving forces of utilizing PBL in the classroom. So before we get into the layman's terms and some easy ways to adopt and get into PBL, um, let's recap, let's reframe the idea of what is PBL?
3: So project-based learning, right? It's taking tasks and bringing learning situations or designing learning situations for students that are authentic in nature and um, they're project-based. Obviously, they're working towards a project that um, they're developing throughout the unit of study tends to culminate at the end, but they should be contributing what we call milestones along the way as they get there.
0: Tara, anything I'm else to add she, to I'm that? She's, not to jump she's in. silent. Well, that no, is a first. I was,
2: was going to jump in and say you work on the project a little bit along the way, but, John. Good. Oh, good.
0: summary, John. Good go. summary. There it is. I
3: your on that <laughs> no,
1: <you're
0: good. laughs> so the big thing is, you know, that's a great explanation of PBL. We know that we want to overcome the fears of the unknown. It's most likely something that you already know, something that you're doing. And it's a matter of tweaking how you are utilizing instruction in your classroom, right? So as we, you know, without going too far into what we kind of, you know, did in the first episode, so in part two, the biggest thing is, you know, you have those those early adopters where they're like, okay, I want to get started. What is some, let's say, uh, what's the word I'm looking for? Like, just, I don't want to say easy, because I don't want anybody to think anything's easy with PBL. It's a process, but uh, kind of like the way to jumpstart how they can get involved in, in in involving PBL in their classroom.
1: Right. So I think what we're looking for is is a point of entry. Thanks, uh, Dan. Yeah. See, yeah. why
0: couldn't you just interrupt me? Access point for me.
2: Yeah. <laughs> and so I know in the last episode we talked about, um, briefly, the design elements. And there's actually four that we're going to chat about today that um, even if you're not doing a project-based learning experience, these are the four that um, are an easy jumpstart to creating a culture to make projects a bit easier Um, once you dive into them. One would be voice and choice, another would be bringing reflection into the classroom, bringing in some critique and revision. And so when we think about bringing voice and choice into the math or science classroom, um, even if you're outside of a project, what are ways you can do that? Um, Having some choice boards as part of your math workshop um, allows students to have a choice. Um, Differentiating your math workstations um bringing in some voice by having math talk podcasts happening within those workstations, right? Um, and then giving students choice in the type of math models that they use when they're solving equations or word problems. And in the science classroom, um, when students are planning out and carrying uh, planning and carrying out investigations, um this looks really different in the next generation um, science classroom. It's no longer students, um, I mean teachers saying, Um, exactly what the procedures are for an investigation or an experiment. It's giving students choice and how they're going to use the materials and the steps that they're going to take. Um, And then when you get into the elaboration phase of um, your science cycle, bringing in different choice menus for students to apply their learning into different situations. Um, And then really in the science classroom, if you bring in a um, project-based learning experience, at the end – Students representing their work, them having a choice in what that might look like.
3: That's fantastic. So thank you. voice and choice is right as one way. So we were thinking about the seven design elements that come from PBL. So we were actually want to thank you guys for it, because this was really inspiration for us. And then when we got to present at NiceGate, having some conversations with people there, there's a lot of there's a lot of difficulty with access for it, Dan, right? And I think you brought that up. So voice and choice, how you would bring that in. But these are practices that I think if you're running just best practice in your class, you're gonna do. Voice and choice is part of it. The idea that there's reflection that's happening in your classroom is another design element. So we're hitting the back end of PBLWorks design elements. So if we're thinking about in a math classroom, reflections built into the workshop that you're doing. Could be oral, could be written that you wanna work on. Reflections can be both content driven or metacognitive, however you wanna approach it with your, your subject matter. Um, They can also be behavior. They can incorporate group dynamics, um, setting goals with students. All of these things would be reflective practices that you could do in any subject. So I'm talking about math and science in particular because that's the wheelhouse we work in. But these can happen anywhere and at any time. Um, When you're in science, wrapping up investigations could be reflective. We run the 5E cycle, so after we deliver and explore the subsequent phases that come after so it would be the elaborate or the evaluate or the explain there could be reflective practices that come in at any point in there Um, and again the same thing as the math it can be content driven it can be metacognitive it can be behavioral how are the groups working together Um, so reflective practices would be another piece that if you're just developing the culture of that it's going to make transition into pbl so much easier for you
0: Yeah, what I hear, you know, as I recap what you guys were just saying is, it's really all about student choice being student driven, we can have, you know, the future ready skills, uh, design thinking, empowering our students, giving them that growth mindset, it's differentiated because you're uh, addressing multiple modalities, and obviously all coming together with 21st century skills, which we want our students uh, to really grasp and and we want as we teach them that's that's an important uh, facet. So now Dan,
1: what do you think? Like okay, we're you're ready to jump in as a teacher, Dan. I'm ready to jump in, but I see there's a lot of management that needs to happen. So mm-hmm. you're talking all about the collaboration, the, the 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 inquiry to drive the instruction, the reflection piece that you were just elaborating on. There's a lot of moving parts. Can if you can talk to us about tools that you use? For, to, to help students collaborate and work collaborate work with teachers in this environment. So well, that
2: actually jumps that right you, in.
1: It, but I was just going to say, yeah, you can jump that, into this, and I'll add on to some collaborative pieces.
2: Right, so that really jumps into – well, no, you start with what you were going to say. So collaboration
3: <laughs> – t-
0: For those who are listening, this is typical. If you know John and Tara, if you don't, you just got a glimpse. <laughs>
1: and, and this is reason number 22 why this we need a video podcast yeah, at some yeah. point.
3: If you could so see I'm, them right so we're, now. We're, we're next to so collaboration in particular, a lot of us just put kids together and say, here, go work. And there's a huge problem with that. It's like anything else that we're teaching. If it's a math skill and ELA skill, you should be doing explicit direct instruct with some collaboration, showing your students how they're going to communicate with each other, what is the accountable language that you're looking for, Um, We offer teachers that we work with talk stems that students can use. Um, We actually even traffic light it right, red, yellow, greens, how are the kids collaborating within it. So we would facilitate groups and walk through and say, I'm not even looking at your content work. I'm looking at how you collaborated today. So we deliver it like a direct instructor or an explicit instructor to show the students what our expectations are. So you're right, Dan, without Mm -hmm. doing that, it's an enormous amount of project management that comes in because children don't know how to do that on their own typically.
2: One thing that I found really helpful um, when I was in the classroom and Dan would come in and do projects um, so that students would have a reflective part of the collaboration. At the end, they would fill out out a quick Google form um, and we would pull up the data and looking at the graphs and the data, the students were able to be metacognitive in their thinking of, hmm, how did this go today? How can we improve it? Okay, so only this percentage of kids felt know, that they were efficient in their work time, what can we do better? And it, um, it just opened up an avenue to have those reflective conversations with students, which helped propel forward their ability to work together even better.
0: I think that when we talk about PBL, it's really pushing the envelope of what 21st century skills, what uh, future employers are looking for in our students in the workforce. You know, Forbes had an article about 10 skills that these businesses and companies are looking for in the future. And stop me at any time. But number one, ability to work in a team structure. Number two, ability to make decisions and solve problems. Number three, ability to communicate verbally with people inside and outside an organization. Number four, ability to plan, organize, and prioritize work. Number five, ability to obtain and process that information number 6 which i know you were just talking about with data ability to analyze quantitative data technical knowledge related to jobs proficiency with software programs ability to create written reports and the last one ability to sell and influence others i feel like that's kind of summarizing mm-hmm. the skills that come out of pbl
3: this pedagogical approach addresses all of the things we need right as we're preparing our students for the future and our kids it really need it right. yeah
2: because we and we are getting our students ready for jobs that aren't created yet. Um, You know, a lot of the jobs that will be coming for the future of our kids um, are entrepreneurships, uh, freelancing. And so when you're thinking about building their character and being able to go into those very vulnerable environments for the workforce, the PBL experience definitely gives them a skill set to do that.
3: And I think because it not only builds in the content piece, which we're all looking for, but what do they call them, the soft skills, the life skills, depends on who you're talking to. Sure. But the collaboration, the critical thinking, the problem solving, the communicating with others, um, working as teams, all the things, all the the list that you just rattled off from Forbes, it's embedded in PBL. By design, it's just what it is as they're working Mm -hmm. through it.
2: A, A big one that goes along with that is the next element that we wanna talk about, which is critique. So being able to take that constructive criticism Um, takes a lot of coaching and building in our students. Um, It's not just teacher feedback, it's peer feedback. Um, It's also bringing in outside professionals, bringing the authenticity into whatever the work is you're doing and those um, outside professionals giving feedback. It's important to explicitly teach those talk stems and protocols so that we can ensure that the feedback is constructive and Specific measurable we want to be sensitive and balanced in our approach and that it's applicable So that they can then turn around and go and revise the work which John will be talking to you about But how often do we get that constructive criticism and that mindset of how we we take it? And so building these experiences in for our students at such a young age um, definitely promotes that growth mindset to be able to accept that constructive criticism and then move the work forward with revisions.
3: So we have to warn, though, because Tara started off with peer feedback. That is an absolute landmine. So if you're doing peer feedback <laughs> in your classrooms, <laughs> you better be out in <laughs> front of that and prepare your kids for it. So, again, the idea, right. explicit models, showing kids how to do it properly, because that that could ruin your, absolute, your whole experience. So peer feedback, albeit, has great value. You just have to be really careful when you do that.
0: A big part of it is setting up that classroom community and culture like you guys have been pushing a lot this year. And, again, as people are saying, okay, now I'm listening. I want to jump in. They reach out to you guys. They reach out to us, and they're like, okay, you know, we'll do some baby steps, obviously. But as, you know, you got to be forward thinking in the sense that if this is an experience and this is what you want to do for your students, come September you want to set all these routines uh, so that peer feedback is not
3: an explosion or a minefield like you said. Right. Yeah, because it it could blow your whole experience up. Right. So one of the other elements that we were looking at, as Tara said, so critique, naturally what follows that is revision, right? So we want to get in. And I think that when we're thinking about project-based learning, obviously there's a project piece to it. A teacher who could just be starting this, this could be any performance-based thing that they're working on in their classroom. If it's just one math problem that they're solving, then the idea of revision and feedback and working towards everything, it becomes challenging. So The idea of using rubrics becomes really important when we're thinking about that idea of revision because you want to have a performance piece that you can do, whether it be any subject. So using rubrics with kids on a regular basis and getting them prepared and that I understand what a rubric is asking of me. So before they are even taking a look at their um, critique that they just received, Understanding what the expectation is, how to use a rubric, how to work from it to make sure I have all the elements that are there. So practice using rubrics in your class all the time. as I Yeah, say. Um, that's important. Anchor products and anchor charts. ELA, we also call them like exemplary models or model texts or things like that. Um, but if you're using anchors to work from, students are then being evaluative. They have to judge, okay, here's what the anchor's showing me. Here's my, what my work is. How am I doing this in comparison to one another? So those are really important. Um, Reflect, reflect, reflect. I would say incorporate reflection time into your class as often and as frequently as possible with the kids. Not only is it great for growth mindset, it's great for processing. It's great for them to sit back and synthesize the information that they're doing. So I would encourage if we're into revisions and we want to enhance that, we want to do reflections. Um, And then of course Tara said it before, it really boils around the idea of establishing a growth mindset in your classroom. This is all cultural piece, and you have right. to establish that from day one. And if you don't, then that's really where you begin, is set up the growth mindset. And then all these other pieces can be elements that you start to bring into them.
1: Is, you know, as I'm, I'm thinking about going down this PBL road, I really have to be aware of the amount of scaffolds I have to apply for my students along the way. Right. So immediately comes to mind is what you really need is a curation tool in order to keep all these resources <laughs> together in one place <laughs> yeah. where it's accessible for for teachers and students. Because you're talking a lot about modeling. And, you know, you can model, but then a week or two down the road, you might need to reinforce that model um, for specific students. So to have that available um, would be great. So do you guys have any suggestions for how to curate all of these materials? Is there anything that you've used that seem to be effective?
2: Well, I think you know, in our science and math classrooms, they do have science and math notebooks. Some are paper pencils, some are digital um, notebooks. And so all of these um, anchor charts, talk stems, protocols are curated and kept in one place. Typically there's a table of contents at the beginning of these notebooks, so it's for easy finding for, you know, students um, if there is um, trouble happening in a collaborative group. Um, the teacher can point them in the right direction and tell them to go to page blank in their um, notebook, whether it's digital or paper, to be able to look at that, and then um, coaching conversations come into play with those tools.
3: So there's two sides to that curation part, Dan, that you're thinking about, because we're also working with the teachers, right? So we're curating these tools for the kids, and we want them to own it, but it's also us as PD people working with the teachers, and so how we curate different things. I mean, we're often living within the Google products, right, where we're shared drives. I mean, actually, I can't say shared drives. That's stuck in my head from a recent experience. But typically, we like to um, work out of different folders with the teachers, and we have them kind of set up and organized based on different parts that we're working with. Um, You guys are doing a lot of different work with curation um, tools that we can use, but – I may be comfortable with some things, but the teachers that I'm working with may or may not be. So I try and find what is their comfortable place and use tools mm-hmm. that are relevant to them. And
2: we do um, do course offerings within our within our district. So um, we do use Google Classroom where when we share right. those resources with teachers who attend our courses, it's curated in a place there for them, which is really just a link to the folders that John were talking, you know, he was talking about.
0: Right. You don't want to make it overwhelming for the teachers. And when you're talking curation tools, I know where Dan's head is going, but mine's going to Wakelet, Wakelet. which we talked about last week. It's the first thing that I was
3: thinking as I'm looking across. (laughs) There's some things
1: I might be comfortable with, but I'm not sure that everyone else.
0: And that's where we're going to build up that comfort level Level. because Wakelet is going to be the perfect avenue.
1: Well, and, and the reason why I bring up curation is because I think we all have that task ahead of us as coaches and PD specialists that we need to have the materials accessible in an easy manner so we really have to think about how we're curating our resources so I mean if I think about this kind of goes to the way like how would you you know talk about curation and creating the experiences I mean I think it goes hand in hand with what the teacher will need to be able to leverage for themselves if they're launching PBL in their classroom because if the role of a teacher in a PBL classroom is quite different than the typical role, the typical role of a teacher. So can you talk about the role of the teacher in a PBL classroom?
3: Sure. There's a, so it's a lot of facilitating is what you're looking at. Um, Tara was t- loves talking about this. We actually, I'll let loves you know, i Loves talking.
0: There's saying. the line yeah, of the podcast. Tara loves, loves yeah. talking. Tara loves talking. talking. I think we have her <laughs> title <laughs> right she there. Likes,
3: she likes talking about this stuff. I'm going to let her jump into it. I'll follow up on it. No,
2: it's, but, it's okay. fine. No, it's, <laughs> you, it's less talking at them, right? And it's coaching and facilitating conversations. And so rather, rather than push teaching and talking and talking, you're pulling information out of them. Um, Even in situations where, you know, collaborative practice may be lacking in a particular group rather than the teacher saying, you're not doing this, or it's actually, you know, a reflective piece, like how do you think it's going, Um, bringing up those anchor charts or tools to help them. It's just less teacher talk time and students becoming the problem solvers um, in the situation.
3: Okay. I, th- okay, I thought she was going to go. I'm going to finish her sentence for it because there is nice. a thing that she often what? says when we're doing do it. No, but it's, it's <laughs> funny. Um... It's all front-end planned, PB, Oh, front-end planned, right, front end plan, right, so, right. <laughs> <laughs> so it's all front-end planned. It's oh, like gosh, your mortgage, everybody. right? All the interest... It's like is a front-end front end <laughs> collision right now. <laughs> it is a yeah. collision. Um, and so the reality is, is when you get to the work... I do say that ...because of all the planning that's there, <laughs> there's less for you to do, yeah. really, in the classroom. We're used to standing and delivering instruction. Right. In this case, the facilitation... It facilita- <laughs> facilitation you're fine-tuning the work as you're going
2: through Right, it. and the, and it does make showing up, I do say this too. Yeah, there it is. This Here is your it thing. is. This I is thought right. you were going to go there. No, when you show up on the day-to-day, um, it just makes it, easier for you because you put in the time in that front end um, but then you get to show up and you're just the coach and facilitator all the curation all the resources everything's done for you you're not the primary thinker anymore it's your students become the primary thinkers with any situation whether it's content behavior the collaborative stuff reflection
3: right right and often you're not even the primary deliverer of information correct you're trying to put situations in front of them whether it be media, literature, various tech tools, whatever it is that you're working with, you're putting them in situations where they're going out and curating their information for themselves, and I'm kind of a bystander asking some questions, pushing their thinking along. You know?
1: Coaching them. That's, Co- it. That's
3: it. That's it. That's exactly it.
1: So we, if we you know, reflect a bit about everything that you're describing, it kind of hits a point where for, for teachers, um, you know, it is a little bit overwhelming, uh, but... That's where where technology comes into play. I mean, we look at effective technology integration, and it's not, you know, doing a fancy project at the end of learning. As we talk about PBL, everything is embedded. So as teachers reflect on the instruction, and I always say when I'm working with with teachers, if you were to walk past the door of your classroom and look in, what would you want to see, you know, and start with that. Um, But I think teachers have to be aware that they need to – treat their digital space just as, you know, it should be just as important as the physical space right. in the classroom. So we're creating an environment where students can be successful because they have access to materials, to instruction, to supplements, to, to scaffolds, to everything that they need. So if a teacher carefully, I'm going to use that term again, curates experiences for students, it allows them more to be a coach instead of having to to stop and stand and deliver and also not have to go through mountains and mountains and mountains and mountains of paper um, using things like voice feedback, formative assessment in forms, flip grid to to just, you know, do exit tickets and check on status and, and look at everything that's going on. Creating that digital space is going to allow the physical space of your classroom to be what you envision.
0: Yeah, I mean, that summed it up right there, Dan. And what I was thinking is you talked about the teacher being the coach and kind of facilitating, reflecting, and moving forward. I know a question that our audience will have is, so what are some experiences that I could start with, in you know, utilizing PBL in my classroom? I know you guys have a ton of products, time frame units, how it relates to the, the curriculum, Share some of those so, in case people need to get those creative juices flowing, you know, we'd love to hear them.
2: So, oh, Tara loves <laughs> to talk. Go,
0: ahead. go
3: right ahead. I'm going talk. first. Go ahead. It's all you.
2: We currently have a fourth grade and kindergarten project going. So, energy um, unit is the fourth grade, and pushes, pulls, and collisions would be the kindergarten unit. And so, um, the fourth grade students are going to become mentors to the kindergartners as they Take their knowledge of pushes, pulls, collisions, and energy transfer to create a Rube Goldberg machine, which um, we're hoping will be housed in the pediatric um, center up at a local hospital. Very cool. In their that's waiting cool. room. So that's a big one that we have going on. Um, we have some smaller projects happening as well.
3: We have a ton of smaller ones. Yeah. As well. But so you were asking specifically. I mean, so that is a really cool project that we're fantastic, be on. right? We have. Um, But I'm coming back from the
0: break, John. What can I do? You're looking
3: at inspiration ideas. Mm -hmm. There you go. actually share it. It's something that we use specific in our district. It's not owned by Wappingers, you know, our district in particular. Um, But we have STEM ideas for all grade levels K through 6 that are specifically aligned to the various next-generation science standards that have – goal, role, audience, situation, product. It's just a basic descriptor that basically aligns to the next-gen standards and then has infusions, but they would be just descriptors of how you could get started with project-based learning and um, what a project could be, and then you can take it to be as big or as small as you would like it to be. But we would be more than willing to share that with you guys, that, that you can push. Yeah, we'll bit. put in the show notes. Right. Another
2: you. another place you could go also is PBL Works. So we yep. know mm-hmm. that they, we're all trained by them. They've inspired some of our work. You'll even see that the um, projects John was just talking about, some of them were created by us, some were inspired by PBL Works. And if you go to their site, they do have some free versions of project ideas as well um, that are for all subject areas.
3: Defined Learning is another resource that you can go to. They offer some free samplings of things. Um, uh, most of their stuff is paid for, but they do have free stuff, so it's nice to go get inspired by that as well.
0: So specific projects that you have, let's say they're coming up, because I know you said the kindergarten fourth grade one, that's kind of already in motion, yeah, right? Yeah,
3: so we have uh, the second grade one that we're working on with the mini golf course that the kids are working on there. Right. Um, we have another second grade where they're going to be exploring earth systems So they're going to be creating commercials and news feeds in relationship to um, various earth systems. You know, we have a fourth grade, which is this is actually a pretty wild one. They're doing mini PBLs, so they're taking a must do can do math workshop model. Okay. In the can do part, rather than just have it be skill and drill math, they're actually building in little mini PBLs, two three day tasks where children have to apply their mathematics in real world situations. you know, like describing the earth with only using numbers as an example. Right. And so they would go through in their little mini PBLs. That's really happening. That's happening. Or that's really cool. It's happening in a fourth grade class.
0: I think that is a great way as, you know, as kind of like a a springboard as people who maybe did not set up the routines at the beginning of the year. Right. But they want to get started. They're like, all right, I'm feeling comfortable things. There's a sense of normalcy, you know, in, in the school setting to a degree these mini PBLs is where I can get started and I can delve deep into bigger projects with you guys specifically next year. You know, I mean, I know we were talking about the fossil one. That's third grade, right? It's going to be
3: third grade.
2: grade. grade. They become archaeology, Right,
0: with 3D printing and doing all that. You know, that was our conversation we had yesterday. But those mini PBLs, that's Mm -hmm. kind of where my head's going, where if someone's listening, they're like, how can I do this where it's not going to overwhelm me because I have so much else going on You know, in the world, in society, in my school, classroom, uh, what mini PBL's experiences can I have? And I love that part of it's math, because we were talking a lot about science, but Mm -hmm. the math.
3: These would all be math, because it's obviously math workshops. So it's the idea that you're bringing math to the application level in your can-do activities.
0: That's great. I mean, I love the mini PBL ideas. I think you guys... You know, I, I'm not giving you more work to do, but as you start to... <laughs> I'm, I'm trying to inspire struck, you, not... We start yeah, yeah, no, curate a package
1: of those. I think we got a goldmine we're you sitting on. You can call area. it the Uncrustables. Yeah. <laughs> yeah.
0: <laughs> but
2: think, think about area and perimeter, right, which is taught in several grades um, where students are given a mini PBL to do on their independent work of creating a home and there are certain constraints and criteria um, that has to be included in those dimensions, Um Creating a garden space, you could tie science and math in. Where you're right. bringing in the area of the space has to be a certain amount. How would you utilize that space? Um,
0: there's yeah. a
3: of I mean, there's there's a couple that we're working with. Um, can you really save endangered species? So using calculations within there to go through, take a look at data, calculate it. But this is all using the skills that are relevant to what the students have already learned or what they are in the process of learning that they can apply.
2: Right, so if you're putting it into your math classroom during independent time, it has to be an application of something that they've mastered.
0: Right, I mean, I just think mini PBLs, you make a, I don't want to say a weekly one, because, I mean, how long does a mini PBL typically...
3: Well, we're looking at trying to keep it within a two- to five-day range so that you would be start to finish it would be fin- you know the students would be done with it
0: so in my mind as you set up a calendar based on grade levels and everything like that and if we say mini PBL is specifically focused in the math content areas so we were just discussing if you had one set up twice a month for each you know thing that would be pretty powerful mm-hmm. for a teacher to get started and oh, think yeah.
3: about it. if that's on a choice board as part of a must- do can do math workshop there it is the kids there you get go. to sink their teeth into that that's mm-hmm. pretty legit
0: and just the skills that they would have obtained by the end of June are, is going to be massive. It's going to be massive. Well, John and Tara, as Thank always, you. it's a pleasure. Uh, a pleasure. Thank
1: you for coming. Tara talks us. too
0: much, as always. <laughs> yes, <laughs> we Thanks know.
2: so much. Now, TK pleasure was great putting it out to the
0: world. I think that should be her new Twitter handle. TK they talks talk to too much. much. There it is. I love it. <laughs> so this is going to wrap up uh, episode number nine. Dan, any uh, final thoughts? Uh, nope. Just wait. No, next one's episode 10. Oh. Hitting a milestone there, you know. So once again, thank you for all your support, listening on the platforms, leaving us those reviews and downloading. If you have any questions, comments, suggestions, please reach out. We will uh, put Tara and John's socials uh, in the show notes so you can follow them. And if you have any questions about anything they mentioned today, uh, please definitely reach out. Uh, And as always, tech hard, work smart, live an adventure. Find Andrew on all socials at A. Nicola Tech and Dan at WCSD Tech DR.